You awake at 2 a.m. to the smell of smoke? You get up and find the house is on fire? Are you prepared? Would you survive? Stay with us and we'll explore some things that will increase your chances of survival. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Hello and welcome to Practical Prepping Podcast, episode number 170, 170. Can you believe it's the last day of February? I cannot. You know, February is the shortest month, but I think it's almost, it feels like it's only three weeks long. It seems like the other day it was New Year's Day. I know, you know, and spring is is beckoning, so I'm excited about that. One of the things that a lot of preppers do is have a wood-burning stove. I know some folks that have coal-burning stoves, and we tend to do these to help us to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. But one of the things that those do is that increases the chance of a house fire. Well, it does. You know, they're dealing with uh, an actual flame. And the most careful person in the world has had fire emergencies take place. And so it's just another reminder to be extra vigilant, extra cautious, extra careful whenever we're dealing with any kind of flames inside our homes or even the fires we may build outside our homes. Back years and years ago when we were kids, most folks used a live Christmas tree. And we saw a lot of house fires because people had a live Christmas tree. They didn't water it enough, and it dried out, and it had very it had, had incandescent bulbs on it. Well, it was, it's, it was a seven-foot piece of tinder. Right, and so we wound up with a lot of house fires from that. So we've learned some things from that. And what we want to do today is talk about increasing our chances of surviving a house fire. Having a house fire is a very, very devastating thing. My parents have, over their lives, they set the kitchen on fire twice. Oh my. I know your first husband's family, he woke up to a house that was already on fire. In fact, the house that he lived in experienced a fire of some level, large or small, four different times. It's like that house was destined to burn in some way. Take down the wallpaper, Ethel. We're moving. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the things that we can do to increase our chances of surviving a house fire. One of the things that we're going to need to do is do some pre-planning and some preparation. Obviously, you're going to want to get a smoke detector. And now several smoke detectors also come with the added benefit of carbon monoxide. But we're going to just stick with smoke detector. You want a smoke detector on every level of your home. If you have a three-story home and several bedrooms, you're going to want more than three smoke detectors. You're going to want them near the kitchen and near the bedrooms and on every level that there is living taking place in your home. And you're going to do the same thing with fire extinguishers. You need a fire extinguisher on every level of the house, and you need one near the kitchen. Chief Kuzieski says that it needs to be right there at the door that you would exit going out of the kitchen so that you can grab it, but you don't want it in close proximity to the stove. If you have a fire on the stove, it could be too hot for you to be able to get to a fire extinguisher if you have it right next to the stove. 
ours is what, 10 feet away from the stove, something like that, but it's right by the door going out. Now you also need to go ahead and look ahead of time at your homeowner's or your renter's insurance. Now, homeowner's insurance, if you own the home that you live in, then your homeowner's insurance covers not only the building, but your contents. But now if you rent, or if you're in an apartment, then you're not covered by that particular insurance policy. The owner has insurance to cover the cost of the building, but there's nothing for your contents. So you need renter's insurance to be able to guarantee that your particular possessions are protected. And you need to get adequate coverage based on what you possess. There are different levels. Speak to your insurance agent about what is going to be best for you. No apartment or rental house or rental situation is identical to anyone else's. You can have an apartment in Alabama and you may need $25,000 worth of insurance, but you may also have be a person with an apartment in New York City, and you may need $75,000 worth of insurance, or maybe more. Your needs are yours. Talk to your insurance agent. And another thing to point out right there is you may need to purchase a rider for certain elements. For example, a renter's insurance will not cover professional photography equipment stored in the house. If you use it in a business, they don't like to cover that without doing a separate rider. Same thing with some companies with firearms. You might, depending on your collection, need to have an additional rider to cover your firearms. Something else you want to consider is off-site storage of copies of important documents pertaining to you. You'll want to perhaps make copies on the computer and put that on a thumb drive, or you may want to make actual paper copies of documents, which would include things like your renter's insurance policy, your marriage license, any other contracts of importance, and put those away from your living space. Maybe a safety deposit box at the bank would be a good idea. Now, we have that thumb drive, but a lot of times I keep one of those, a duplicate thumb drive in my vehicle. And so if I got out of here without my thumb drive, then I would have another place to put it. But we really do need to locate someone that we can trust to hold on to one of those thumb drives or that binder if you're talking about the paper copies. Sure, I mean, you could do a relative or a Mm -hmm. trusted friend or something. You need to know the quickest evacuation route, and everyone in the house needs to know that, particularly when we're talking about children. Children need to go through some fire drills. They do it at school. They do it monthly, or they do some type of drill monthly at school, and they even do the active shooter drills in some of them. And one of the things that we as deputies have found is that as they discuss the drills, then these children don't really know the difference between the drill and the actual thing because we practice like we want them to act during the actual thing. So it takes some fear out of them. We also need to look and see if the doorways are clear. Can you get out? I've been in some people's houses where there would be no way to get through that door. They put furniture in front furniture of it. Furniture in front of it. Mm-hmm. So are the doorways clear? Is there a clear path out? Are there any deadbolts that require a key to exit? We have that type of deadbolt here in our house, and we keep a key in that deadbolt. You know, that is a great idea because if you're 
needing to find a key at 2.30 in the morning in, in black smoke and whatever and in a panic situation, you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Even if you had it hanging on the doorknob and you're trying to get it into that keyhole under stress, that could be difficult. Right. I like having that key positioned in the lock, and all you have to do is just turn it mm-hmm. anyway. Or change it out and get one that you just have the flip switch. Exactly. Almost like a commercial door. Right. So it cannot be taken out. Can you open your bedroom windows? Sometimes those get painted over. And they won't raise. I, in my industry, I see that frequently, particularly in the older homes mm-hmm. that have been built, say, before 1970, and they've just been painted and painted and painted. We're talking first floor exit route, which would be a great exit route, but they're painted shut. Yes, you're going to have to deal with that. You need to be able to open at least one window in every bedroom. And it, like you said, it becomes a good escape route. You need a designated meeting area. Now, we're not talking two- and three-year-olds here because you're going to have them in your possession. But older children, teenagers, may be able to get out their window themselves. You make sure they get out, and then you go for another child or whatever. But they need to know where to go so that in just a moment's notice, we can look and see, okay, everybody's here. We're all out. And they need to be trained to stay there. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be running back in because that's that can be disastrous. There's been many a people killed because somebody ran back inside. Some suggestions might be, if you're on property, is everyone meet at the end of the driveway, like where it meets the street. Or let's, let's gather around the mailbox or a particular tree. Or maybe go stand in front of the neighbor's house, you know, if it's a trusted neighborhood. You've got to pick a safe place that's well-distanced away from any type of house fire that might be taking place. And as we talked about with the small children, you need to practice that evacuation. Back to the question. You awake at 2 a.m. to the smell of smoke. You get up and find the house is on fire. Can you all survive? We need an exit plan. And first of all, you need to understand that smoke and heat does rise. It can be as much as 1,700 degrees at the ceiling. Smoke inhalation actually claims more lives than fire because I think not enough people have practiced and trained not to jump up straight and run. You have to stay low. You jump up and you put your head up into that superheated air. Mm. You inhale it and you've taken that into your lungs and there's been many people found dead Mm -hmm. beside the bed after they tried to escape a fire. You mentioned that the smoke rises, the heat rises. That means that the cool, clean air is closer to the floor. Which means you have to sometimes get down low on your hands and knees or belly crawl if you have to. Smoke and heat stack down is what they do. It's hottest at the ceiling and it's coolest at the floor. That's why you see firemen crawl into a fire. They're staying in the cooler air. Now, it may be hot. It could be 120 degrees, yes, but it's, cooler but it's than not 1,700 exactly. degrees. That will hurt you. Now, different folks sleep different ways. Some folks sleep with footy pajamas with rabbit ears on them. Some folks sleep, you know, all covered up down to some folks sleeping nothing. No, we're boxer shorts or anything in between. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we need to do if we have to evacuate the house in the middle of the night 
And who knows, it may be 10 degrees outside. We need to have some kind of covering that we can grab because our objective is to get out of the house. Now we're going to be outside. A house fire is going to draw other people. We really want something covering our bodies, a house coat, you know, and you also want something for warmth from that matter. But have a house coat near the bed that you could grab and put on if you had to. And the same with shoes. A lot of times, obviously, people don't wear shoes to bed, so you may need to think about some shoes that you can slip on quickly and go. And remember, you're crawling, so you may not want real loose slippers. You may want some sort of a loafer or a slide-on or something that's going to be Even quick. some type of a house shoe. Mine mm-hmm. wrap all the way around my feet. Right. A lot of people have things sitting by the bed so that when their feet touch the floor, they can slip them into those shoes. But you get outside, you may be walking on gravel, you may be walking, you could even be walking on debris from the fire. You might actually be out there for a couple of hours Mm -hmm. or more too. So we want to protect our feet. Now, one thing that you could do is to have a tote somewhere with some clothing and some footwear in it. This is older, unused. This is a great place for old jeans. This is a great place to put an old sweatshirt, put some old jackets or coats, and store that tote and do that for each person, not a separate tote necessarily, but to have clothing for everybody, and store that in an outbuilding, store it in a shed, store it in a garage. See, we're talking practical prepping here. That's a very practical idea. Also, you'll need to have a plan for... Who is going to get what child? I mean, let's face it. Some of our households have four, five, six, seven plus kids. And so there needs to be a plan as to who's getting who so that there's no confusion about four people getting one child and forgetting the other five or whatever. This is a place where if you have older teens in the house, if you have teenagers, your responsibility is to make sure you get your little brother out with you. If you add a teenager to get one of the children, and this is using your example of having four, five, six children, but go ahead and make the decision as the parents, if we have a fire in the middle of the night, I'm getting this child, you're getting that child, our oldest teenager is getting this child, and that's someone responsible for getting each one of those people out. It's like a designated, you know... Uh, Rescuer? Exactly. Designated rescuer. If you go down the stairs, do not return up the stairs. Make make the mindset of, I'm going to do what I can do, but I'm getting out because safety first is the most important thing. Here's another tip. This is where some people have really gotten in trouble, and I get it. We have pets. I know what it feels like to dash out of your house and think, okay, I need to go back in there and get my... My cats, my dog, my bird, my whatever. Open up the doors and allow your pets to run outside. They will instinctively find safety. It's much better to look for them in the neighborhood after the fact. I know they'll be stressed and frightened, but don't go back into the burning house because things are happening at a rapid pace. Even the most highly trained firefighters have been caught by surprise by collapsing ceilings and beams coming down, especially when the fire gets a lot of air coming into it. Don't go back in for your pets. 
I understand if you've got a 200 gallon aquarium, I'm just going to say it right now. Leave the aquarium. It's probably the one thing that won't burn. I have actually, you know, I was a firefighter for three years before I went into law enforcement. And I've actually been in house fires where after the fire was out and we were in there, uh, we called it mopping up. You're hitting the hot spots and stuff. And there's the aquarium sitting over there and the fish are just swimming around in. They might have actually liked the warmer temperature. That's not even, that's not funny. But there's just certain things you do not need to be stressing about. Your personal life and safety must come first and for those whom you're responsible. And then just let your dogs and cats fend for themselves. You can look for them later. You can. And they may stay hunkered down depending on how afraid they are for a couple of days. Well, and that's why you want to leave doors and leave that leave that door open when you exit leave that door open and let them escape as well now let's talk here for a second about determining whether or not we're going to fight the fire yes i mean how do you gauge how big or small a fire has to be in order for you to grab the extinguisher well one if you can see it if you can see it as you start to exit and you see it's a small fire, you can grab your fire extinguisher and fight it. So you're talking about like in a stove top or maybe just one set of curtains or something like that? Yeah. Hopefully you won't go to bed with a stove top on, so hopefully it's not the stove, but somebody could, and I'm sure has, and that might be one that you want to fight. But one of the things that you can do is look at the smoke. Now, are we talking about smoke are we talking about smoke? And, and I know wow, you can't see that. Wow, which one is that? Okay. Are we talking about smoke that you can see through? Are you talking about heavy, heavy, heavy smoke? It takes a lot of fire to create heavy, heavy, heavy smoke. So you really just have to judge by that. But err on the side of getting out. But if you've got a light smoke layer, you can smell it. Your smoke detectors are going off, and you can see in the house. And one thing you can do is you can stick your hand up and see how hot it is above you. And if it's up into the extremely mm-hmm. hot, then just get out. Don't even be concerned with fighting that fire at that particular time. You know, a firefighter friend was telling me about, and I want you to talk about this too because you've had the training obviously we want you to open doors and get out, but you've got to be very careful about opening doors if you suspect the fire is on the other side of a closed door. Mm -hmm. And why is that? You can have fire on the other side of the door. And let's say you wake up and the smoke detector's going off and your bedroom door is closed, then touch that handle. See if that handle is hot. If that handle's hot, just find another route out of there. Because there's fire on the other side of that door. What could happen if somebody just burst that door open, like pushed it open? It can flash in. I mean, you can get burned. You can smoke inhalation, anything like that. You just have to really, really be careful. But you have a good point there about checking that doorknob. And then I wouldn't just snatch it open. I might crack it. it. If there was any doubt in my mind, I might crack it and look into that hall or whatever. Also, there's something else that I do, a little tip that I want to share. Whenever we're out of town, I will go back through the house before we leave, obviously, and I will close every closable door. All the bathroom doors, the bedroom doors, office doors, 
interior doors. I close those doors because firefighter friends and you have actually trained me over the years to say that a closed door actually could be a fire hindrance should one break out. It certainly would minimize the travel of a lot of interior fire. We'll take the example that, say, the fire started in a bedroom, started electrically in a bedroom, and that door is closed. It's going to help contain that fire to that room longer and the fire may be observed from outside and the fire department get there and be able to fight the fire that's contained to one room rather than having had it spread throughout the house. All right, so that's just my little fire prevention tip there. Naturally, you're going to want to practice sensible fire and flame safety everywhere. You don't want to start any kind of fires outside and then unattend them. Or if you're even having a fireplace inside, there are safety features that you place in and on your active fireplace to prevent sparks and embers from, you know, casting out onto the floor and the carpets that would uh, certainly ignite. So also don't light any candles or any of these like lamps, like oil lamps that may have an actual flame and then unattend them because you just never know. The oil may burn down and that glass may overheat and crack and a wind may come along. I mean, anything can happen if it's unattended. So no unattended flames. Also, be very careful about the placement of your heaters or the placement of curtains, draperies, bed linens, and furniture, soft uh, textures. Anywhere near uh, some sort of a coil or an element that would become very red hot, especially if there might be any kind of breezes or anything that would make that curtaining or that bed linen lay over onto that hot element. Just consider it like you would not lay a dress on a hot eye on the stove. Why? Because it'll catch on fire. Well, your, your linens are the same kind of thing. So be very careful about the placement of kerosene heaters, propane heaters, heaters that might be in the wall, that sort of thing where they could come in direct contact with that hot element. You may even consider, I'm really thinking out of the box on this one, you may even consider under careful supervision with yourself and your children, practice using the fire extinguisher outside on some small little fire that you have created perhaps in a fire pit. Something where you can practice what does it mean to operate the fire extinguisher. When you're in a complete sweat panic over needing to use the fire extinguisher and it's got written instructions sometimes you feel like you've just gone blind for a minute and you can't understand what to do well that's not the time to be reading the directions well that's what i'm saying is that learn muscle memory on how. basically what you you do is to pull that pin and most of them have a handle to the top and to the bottom and you squeeze and you take that hose or the end of that wherever the nozzle is on that, you direct it at the base of the fire and you sweep it back and forth. Oh, okay. You don't spray it at the flames that are up above it because that's not what's on fire. That's Mm -hmm. where the flames are going. But you direct it at the base of the fire and sweep it back and forth. But, you know, I think practicing with the extinguisher may be a very important thing to do because, you know, if a 13-year-old can use the fire extinguisher and put the fire out in the kitchen and save the house, all the better because Mm -hmm. they've trained with it. All right. Anything else? Fire safety. You know, that's an everyday thing. Be very 
diligent about working with your family members on what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Make sure that you're properly insured. Don't walk off from any flames that are inside your home or outside your home. And practice with your fire extinguisher. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because stuff happens. We want you to stay prepared. And we'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Hopefully you've learned something, picked up a tip, or something we said may have triggered a thought that'll help you in your prepping journey. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode, and share it with your friends and family. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.